0: Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening.
1: Thanks, Josh, for praying, and uh, good morning, everybody. Like you said, hey, I'm Scott Lambert. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I continue on a message series called Stories to Live By, and welcome to July, everybody, right? Yeah, summer, it's here, I'm really excited about that, I feel like it's finally summer, maybe because I go on vacation next weekend and uh you guys want to talk about my vacation a little bit, yeah, I know, <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun, huh, we're doing a little long backpacking trip in the Sierras and so I've been really stressed so far this spring and summer because it hasn't been that hot, anybody else stressed about that? and uh so i'm looking forward to next weekend here it's going to be like 110 so that's i need the snow to melt in the sierra so we can make it on our trip so anyways but glad you're here um, this message series we're going through is we're really looking at the parables that Jesus taught. You know, if you ever think about just hearing a public speaker, or whether it's a professor, teacher, pastor, you know, politician, or you know, a lecture of some sort, you always kind of zone out during the uh, factual parts, and then bam, you're brought back in by the tractor beam of the speaker once they start talking about personal stories. Right? Stories really compel us. They shape our perspective, they draw us in, and they allow us to learn. And so Jesus used a lot of stories when he walked among us several years ago to help explain very deep and important truths about who he was and what he was trying to accomplish. So we've been looking at different ones and trying to figure out how they apply to our lives. So before we jump into today's parable... Um, I want to set the stage for you here, okay? And I want to just be vulnerable and just share a little bit about my younger self. And let's look at a picture here. And this is a picture of me at 18 years old, okay? Can you tell which one I am? Just kidding. <laughs> um, this is Breckenridge, Colorado. And me and my friend thought we were all that and a bag of chips, you know? And uh this is 1993, early 1993. This is like grunge... Nirvana, Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, you know, Pantera, White Zombie. You guys, you know, this is what was going on then. Those were all thrift store clothes. You couldn't find those at American Eagle. (laughs) They didn't cost $60. They cost $2, you know. Anyways, when I was, you know, this was a real sorting period of life for me. This was a troubled version of myself. If you go to the next picture... This is me a year later after moving to California. And I'll explain a little bit. I'll kind of set the stage for you. Look at my shirt. It says, what's important to you? And that's really the question I was asking at this stage in my life. You can move on from the pictures. I don't like looking at myself up there. But (laughs) um, let me tell you a little bit about who I was at this place. Um, I dropped out of high school two months before graduation. Just not because I was had issues. I just I mean I had issues. I just was lazy. I didn't want to finish. I had a GPA of one point six and I was looking how much work I was gonna to have to do in two months to to actually graduate and I was like, Yeah, it ain't worth it, you know. So I'm good, I'm eighteen, let's just sign myself out of school. I had about a thirty percent attendance rating at school at that time, both my junior and senior year. I was so impulsive and so Self-centered, that I would lose jobs. I broke stuff. I wrecked cars. I had tons of speeding tickets. I think I had five speeding tickets by the end of high school, which is crazy. I had a warrant out for my arrest because I didn't pay one of them. I had to go turn myself in and pay a bunch of money. I had financial trouble already at 18, you know. And, you know, it was just a mess. I could not be trusted. I was already dabbling in substances that a year later, Right after that picture of me on Half Dome would result in an addiction. That would require a lot of attention. And none of this was because of personal pain and trauma. I actually grew up in a really good home with good, solid Christian parents who loved me and actually raised me well. So this was all on me. I had no excuses for my behavior. So we'll come back to my story in a minute but I just want to set that stage okay just to kind of show where I was and before well before I move on from that I do want to mention this I actually believed in God during this phase of my life and actually knew who Jesus was and there was actually a seed a small seed of a desire to actually serve God at this time of my life I was wrestling I was sorting I just wanted some other things More than I wanted to follow God, which was my corrupt desires based on fun and excitement. And I was willing to lie to get that. So let's move on to the story. And this is the we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed. Many of you have heard about that. If you haven't, I'm going to. Teach it to you today. So this is a parable. It's actually one of the shortest parables that Jesus used. And it's in actually three of the Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at it in Matthew today. And Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And these Gospels were written by Jesus' disciples to actually explain the life of Jesus and who He was and what He was doing here. So they're eyewitness accounts of what happened. And in this scene, we're going to look at chapter 13, Jesus is actually teaching people, and the crowd gathered so much they're by a lake that He actually gets on a boat and He kind of floats offshore a little bit, just so He can teach from a better perspective. okay? And because there's just a lot of people gathering. And He's teaching them a bunch of parables at this point about what the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is like. All right? And so that's, that's the context of this. There's a whole bunch of them. And you can actually go in Matthew 12 and 13 and read all these different parables for yourself at some point. But let's start here in, in verse 31. It says, and you can follow along on the screen and in your listening guide. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in the field, though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet it grows, when it grows, it is the largest garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. It's pretty short, right? And what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of heaven will start very, very, very small. Mustard seed Jesus is referring to here is in a family of seeds that are typically the smallest, you know. And here's a picture of one. This might not be the exact seed he's referring to, but it's close enough on my, you know, Wikipedia didn't have it. Just kidding. Um, (laughs) That's a quote from a TV show. And uh, um, anyways, there's there's a mustard seed. You can see how tiny it is. Now let's switch over. You can see the expansiveness of the mustard plant or tree. It's pretty large. And this is the one he's actually referring to. There are different varieties of mustard plants, but this is the one he's referring to. And it's pretty big. And imagine, just imagine, so you can just understand the the growth here. Imagine that tiny seed that can fit on the tip of your finger to this large plant. That's a lot of growth, right? It's a lot of growth. It's very expansive. It starts very small and grows very big. So what do you guys think then that Jesus is trying to teach us by this? What do you think? What is he trying to say? What are the implications of this for us? So it would seem in order to really answer that question, it really depends upon what he means by the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is is referenced to about 126 times in the Gospels. And so it's probably important for us to understand that anyways, for just understanding the Gospels themselves and what Jesus is actually saying. So in a moment, we're going to watch a brief video that will help explain what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is. And then I'll parse it out for a little bit. So this is a video taken from a, a group called The Bible Project, who's really trying to help make sense of the Bible to people through, through videos. And they really, they take books of the Bible and explain the whole book kind of in a fast sequence form, and then they also take themes of the Bible and explain that as well. So this is a video um, made for the book of Matthew, so we're not going to watch the whole video, we're just going to watch segments of it. So go ahead and play the first segment.
0: Now, in the first section, chapters 4 to 7, Jesus steps onto the scene announcing the arrival of God's kingdom. And this is really key. The kingdom is, in essence, about God's rescue operation for his whole world. And it's taking place through King Jesus. Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil, and its whole legacy of demon oppression and disease and death. Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings, and live under his rule. So, after Jesus begins healing people and forming a movement, a community, he takes his followers out to a mountain or a hillside, and he delivers his first big block of teaching, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus explores what it looks like to follow him and live in God's kingdom. And it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members. So the poor, the nobodies, the wealthy, the religious... Everybody is invited and is called to turn, to repent, and to follow Jesus and join his family. Jesus says that he's not here to set aside the commands of the Torah or the Old Testament. Rather, he's here to fulfill all of that through his life, through his teachings. He's here to transform the hearts of his people so that they can truly love God and love their neighbor, including their enemy. All right.
1: So let me parse this out a little bit more over here. Essentially, and you can follow along in your listening guide, I made some blanks for you because I really want you to understand what he's referring to when he says the kingdom. The kingdom is God's rescue mission to a world in bondage. In order for God to rescue us, we have to be need rescuing, right? So we're actually in bondage. And our bondage is basically the three main enemies right now. And this is since which we'll we'll talk about a little bit later, but it's since the fall related to Adam and Eve found in Genesis, all right? The world's been different since then. And so here's the three main enemies. We have the devil and his demons. The devil is an actual person. Demons are persons. And they're real. In fact, they actually have control over our world system right now. And our second enemy is actually the world system. It seems like the world system may be okay, but what you don't realize is the devil's actually influencing it heavily. We are too, so is the enemy. And so we battle the world system. The world system tells us get what you want. Well, depending on where you're from obviously. Have fun. Be successful. It's all about you. These are just examples of what the world tells us. These are lies. I bought into these lies and found myself in bondage. And then third, our third enemy is just simply us, our own flesh. There's something wrong with us now. Our perspective, our instincts, our ability to act and view view situations appropriately and act is different. It's broken. I mean, and just bear with me on this a little bit. I think you all know this about yourself, but bear with me. Have you ever been angry or scared? And even those emotions allow you to just see a situation and not be able to read appropriately. And then you you act poorly because you're angry or afraid. And then later, once you've calmed down, you realize, man, now I see. I wish I could have seen then. That's your flesh. Or your appetites. Have you ever made poor decisions in life because of appetite alone? And not just food appetites, other appetites. We want what we want when we want it. We're willing to hurt people to get it because we deserve it. These are the lies that we buy into and this is how we function. So we live our lives battling and warring these, this flesh that the Bible calls our flesh. So we're in bondage to these things. And God's restoration, the next thing is God's restoration of God's reign over our lives. This is kingdom coming. This is tied to his rescue mission. And, and, you know, many of you can reference the famous Lord's Prayer that you find in the Bible when Jesus is teaching people how to pray, you know, and you've heard this in movies. And uh, this is pretty prevalent, but there's a line in it that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what he's trying to say is there's a yearning inside of us for a different ruler. God, his kingdom. We know something's wrong here and we want something different. Your kingdom come. Because as the video said, it's a different kind of kingdom, right? Which we'll talk about in a second. You know, this actually reminds me of of an old Disney movie, the Robin Hood cartoon. Here's a video of it just to refresh your memory. You can go home and watch it later if you like, and uh, and I watched this growing up a lot, and I always thought it was fun. There's some fun little songs and characters in there, but the part that always captured me was at the end. You know, here's what you have: you have King Richard the Lion. He's gone away doing something, and he's left his cousin or nephew or something. In charge, and he's this slimy guy who's only interested, he's actually evil, he's only interested in growing his own bank account and his own glory and everything, and so he's breaking the backs of the people in this kingdom and utterly enslaving them, putting them in jail when they can't pay taxes, raising their taxes, making it impossible for them to actually function. And then finally, you know, there's a whole story that ensues, but the great part is at the end when King Richard finally comes back. I mean, Robin Hood does his thing, and it's great, and he's able to kind of fight off the bad guy, but what really makes a difference is when the real king returns. And then everybody, all the little bunnies are hopping, and everybody's like, long live King Richard! And they're just rejoicing in the right ruler the good ruler has returned and now is going to make things right. We're no longer in bondage to this horrible ruler. What you find is it actually really matters who's in charge of our lives, right? It actually really matters. Which, which brings me to this next point. is His kingdom, it's good and life-changing. It's good, guys. So here, follow me on this. If what the Bible says is true about God, and this is what the, how the Bible describes God, He's good and He's love. Now, he de- describes more about Him than that, but I'm just focusing on those two. And He's the highest level of authority in the entire universe. Or if you watch The Flash, the multiverse. Just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, took a little right turn there. And... uh So He's the highest level of authority. So if He's good and He's love and He's the highest level of authority, boy, His kingdom is our only hope, right? It's man's best hope. So I encourage you to explore this. If you don't know this about God, I encourage you actually, the Psalms 34.8, it's up here on the screen, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Think about that idea of refuge. Taste and see that I'm good, take refuge. It's like this line here represents His kingdom is over there and I'm over here in the land of the enemy and bondage and I'm just struggling and then I break through into His sovereign reign and His rule and His kingdom and I can take refuge. The right ruler's in charge and it's good. It's good. And what God's trying to do now since the fall with Adam and Eve, is he's, he's actually creating a family of followers to join with him in his rescue mission. And that's his church, and that's us. So despite mankind's rejection of God's original kingdom, which is what happened with Adam and Eve, he's inviting us to join and experience his kingdom. So let's continue a little further with the Matthew video to see what he means by experience his kingdom.
0: After concluding his great teaching on the kingdom, the next section shows Jesus bringing the kingdom into reality in the day-to-day lives of people. So Matthew's arranged here nine stories about Jesus bringing the power of God's kingdom into the lives of hurting, broken people. There are three groups of three stories, and they're all about people who are sick, or have broken bodies, or they're in danger, and Jesus heals or saves them by these acts of grace and power. And then right in between these triads, we find two parallel stories about Jesus' call that people should follow him. Matthew's making a point here. One can only experience the power of Jesus' grace by following him and becoming his disciple. Now, after Matthew has shown the power of the kingdom through Jesus, Jesus then extends his reach by sending out the 12 disciples who are going to go do what he's been doing. And this leads to the second large block of teaching, chapter 10. And here, Jesus teaches his disciples how to announce the kingdom and what to expect once they do. So in this video, we really see that Jesus'
1: kingdom has the ability to change our lives in very dramatic and good ways. We need heart change. We need change. And some of that change isn't going to necessarily happen until the afterlife, until what the Bible calls heaven, when His kingdom is fully revealed and restored. But some of that can't happen here. So we need that. So Jesus also tells us that we need to follow after Him. We need to follow after Him. That's how we join His kingdom. You know I had the scenario of breaking through here? Well, the way that we break through is we follow Jesus. But here's the problem. There's a huge mountain up here on the screen and in life, between us and actually following and joining God's kingdom. Is in the old testament he had the law. The first video referred to it as the Torah. I'm not going to get too technical on all that. But that was basically God's this is that was basically God's laying out his requirements of obedience to be under his rule. And what it's required is flawless obedience. Can you flawlessly obey? I can't. So there's a tension here. How We can't do it, God. And He knows this. And in fact, he, he showed us the law for that very purpose, to show us that we can't do it. We are so utterly dependent. So guess how this mountain gets moved? It's by the mercy of God. Originally, I had a little like uh, animation, but it doesn't work on this screen where the mountain gets and it was going to be really cool. Um, But you get the idea. The mountain's been moved. (laughs) And um, so let me read to you this passage. Just listen to this. This says this is Jesus words about the law. Says, do not think that I've come to abolish and get rid of the law, even though this is my own words here, even though he's it's mercy of God. You might think, hey, cool. He's just going to forgive us and we'll just toss that whole law thing away. Right. It's not necessary anymore. Now, he's saying, Do not think that I've come to get rid of the law or what the prophets had to say. I have come. I've not come to abolish them, but to actually fulfill them. For I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. Flawless obedience. And he did that. He flawlessly obeyed God and fulfilled everything in the law. And so God's mercy is that we can have faith and trust that that everything that Jesus did clears us with God. His obedience becomes our obedience. Does that make sense? If this is true... Sorry. Sorry. Let me just move on. Go ahead and pull it up a little bit there. Um, and here, here's, here's how we get connected with this mercy. Here's how we get connected with this flawless obedience. Is it faith connects us to God's mercy. God's mercy and his grace is a power in our lives that allows us to rejoin the kingdom and step on this side. So that we can be connected to God and His power and His rule and His reign that is good. All those things that I mentioned in the kingdom, it comes from faith. Does that make sense? You don't have to answer that. I hope it makes sense. Because that is really, really crucial and important. Faith connects us to God's mercy. Faith allows us to say, I can't do it, help. And He says, you know what? I will. I did it as Jesus. And my death and my resurrection has paid the price for your disobedience. Follow me and rejoin my kingdom. Have faith in me that I've taken care of it. So how much faith does it take, guys? How much faith does it take? Well, check out Jesus' words here. He's using his own parable to to tell his disciples something. And his disciples came to him, and they couldn't cast a demon out of this person. And they're like, why couldn't we? And Jesus helps them, and he does it. And then he's like, I'll tell you why you couldn't. He says, he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you. So they had really little faith, okay? Because here's his comparison. Truly, I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, he's using his own parable. It's great, huh? You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible with you. Now, just so there's no confusion, this this phrase to move a mountain was a common Jewish proverbial statement in those days. Basically saying, boy, that looks really impossible. I don't know if I can do that. I actually took this literally when I was a kid and I moved away from uh, Southern California to um, flat Missouri. And I missed the mountains. I longed and yearned for the mountains. I'd sit in my backyard and I'd hear this message at a Sunday school. I'd hear this parable of the mustard seed or what Jesus was saying here. And then I would try to fave the mountains into my backyard, you know. And it never worked, you know. And thank goodness, probably would have caused some serious upset in the world of people and geography and who knows what else. If we're just always moving mountains around, you know. Um, but, you know, God can... Make all that work out somehow. But Jesus is using his own words. In fact, faith only the size of a mustard seed allows us to do impossible things. Like move the mountain of our rebellion to God and restore us. Here's a rebellion. And store us to his protective and good reign, his refuge. So let me me just... Rehash and summarize and lay this all out for you really simply. You can follow along the screen here. Adam and Eve didn't have the faith that God would not rip them off. So they left his reign over them. They got to live with God in his kingdom and they communed with him and they had everything great. But they still lacked the faith that he would not rip them off. And so they left. They disobeyed. And because of walking away from God's rule, they became in bondage to arrogance, which is pride, demonic strongholds, selfishness, disease, evil, and even death. Death didn't exist before this. Now that has continued on in the world and humans that we know and are familiar with today, right? We're familiar with our world. We're familiar with us. We're familiar with humans after this state. We didn't know what it was like before. Adam and Eve sinned. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Out of the Silent Planet. It's a sci-fi book. You can check it out in that book. He tries to understand what it would be like before man ever sinned against God. It's kind of interesting. You should check it out. So, faith then connects us to God's mercy. And what it does is as we're going on our path, faith allows us to take an off-ramp and do a U-turn. And the way it does this is, is it, it allows us, you know, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is enough to clear us so we can get off our path and turn back towards God. God's mercy allows us to come back and be clear of our own personal disobedience towards Him. This is what the Bible actually calls becoming a Christian, is this off-ramp. When you say, okay, I'm going this way, I'm in rebellion against God, which is a true state of all humans. And then we say, God, I want your rule in my life, and I need help. And through faith we say, and I'm just giving you kind of the commentary of the human mind here, at least Scott's human mind, is I really do believe, I'm scared, and I believe only the size of a mustard seed, but I really do believe that Jesus is real And that he actually fulfilled this flawless obedience that I couldn't. And his death and resurrection has made a way for me to be right with him. And so I'm turning. And I'm headed towards you, God, in your refuge and your rule. But guess what? It's going to be hard, God. So please help. Have mercy on me. That's what it means to become a Christian. So as we do this, this reunites us with God relationally. And guess what? We grow. Did you see the guy grow there? He was small, then he got bigger. We actually start to grow and mature. And we grow in obedience. And, and as God's kingdoms grow, you know, see the kingdoms growing, faith connects us to His mercy to be a part of it. We get to be part of that expansion and part of His kingdom growing and see what's going to happen. And some of that, like I said, won't be seen until the afterlife, but some will be seen now. And, so as, a, and then as part of God's kingdom, we escape sin. Disobedience that causes us so much trouble we avoid the sting of death there is an afterlife and it's God's kingdom and it's good and different and that's a whole nother message but look into it we no longer suffer in vain all our suffering has a purpose and the purpose is to keep us headed towards the right direction and we're actually our suffering has a purpose because now we're behind enemy lines rescuing others into the kingdom. It's hard living and helping, huh? But we carry the kingdom of God in our hearts as we rescue others. And then we also get a heart change, a much needed heart change in order to gain freedom. Up to this point, I've only really talked about entering the kingdom and that's really important and this is why it's important. It's important for, for everybody. Is... Um, Francis Schaeffer, he's an author, he wrote a book called True Spirituality, and it compares the day you were born with the rest of your life. Okay, the day you're born is pretty important, right? Without it, you don't have much of a rest of your life, right? It's a pretty important day, your birthday. However, do you just dwell upon your birthday every day of your life? Like, oh, so glad I was born, oh, so glad, you know. That was a great day, remember that? No, you live each day. And you just keep living it and living it and living it. And every day is full of experiences and they're important and you're doing different stuff. You're making progress. Well, you compare that to your relationship with becoming a Christian. The day you have enough faith to become a Christian is like the day you were born into His kingdom. The kingdom's implanted in you. It's in your heart. It's in your soul. And it starts to grow. It's a really, really important day, guys. It's a really important day. It's a day we should remember it's so impactful. We should celebrate it. and Because and, without it, we're not part of His kingdom. But it's every day from then forward that's also very important. And we need to continue to grow. The Bible doesn't just talk about the mustard seed was implanted and started to grow a little bit. It says it grew into a very large tree. And so God's kingdom grows in us. In fact, He leads us to actual willful obedience with Him. Our life gets changed and this is why. Imagine with me and I'm just going to give you a flavoring of what growth is possible in you. Imagine just, the Bible calls these the fruits of the Spirit and these are like the benefits of walking with God and His Spirit inside of us. Self-control. Don't you wish you had more self-control? Patience. Endurance. Love. Love is putting the goals and interests of others above my own. That's really hard to do. Joy. Joy's hard when things are tough, right? Faithfulness, gentleness, and even just good sense. These are all important things. And we um as we As we begin to grow, I mean, just imagine for a moment. Imagine all those things I just laid out for you. And imagine you and the people you relate to. Imagine having more of that. Just contemplate that for a minute. Think about how good that is. And that's what God's trying to do. So returning to my story, okay? My growth out of this very immature state, this sorting state in which I was the ruler of my own life. My, my, my growth only started to happen when God, in His mercy, and trust me, He didn't have to, um, gave me enough sense and faith to turn for Him for forgiveness and start the process of living His way. Prior to this, I knew who God was. In fact, I even had a small seed implanted in me. I see, I see my upbringing actually as God's grace. My upbringing was a seed planted in me of the kingdom of God. But I had to die before it started growing. And so it planted in me and it grew and grew and grew because I had a desire to even serve God in a ministerial aspect way back then. But boy, was I in the way of that. And boy was I disqualifying myself, and boy was I just headed for destruction. I wasn't homeless or anything, but I had like lost my job, got my truck repossessed, sold off all my belongings, and was living from friend's house to friend's house before God finally said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I don't know." Please help me, God. I—it's weird. I still remember this to this day, guys. It's been. 25 years. God, I just want to be ruled by you. I just want to be ruled by you. Can, you. can you sense that urge inside of you? God, I just want to be ruled by you. And his kingdom began to grow. Now, I'm still in the middle of growth, guys. It's not like, here I am. You know? Um, follow after me. But I am telling you that God has grown me. And I still have a long ways to go, but He has grown me. And I am so thankful and I look forward to seeing His kingdom grow in my life and in this world and in eternity. I am excited about it. So let's talk real quickly as we wrap up here about a few applications for this. Okay? And these are important. Because of this parable and what they're talking about is faith allows us to start really small with God. Some people think they got to fully clean up their lives before they can really approach God and ask Him for help. i got to do this, i got to do that, i got to do this. Obedience is really important, guys. It is really important to God, and it should be important to us because it keeps us from a lot of trouble, and it's what God wants us to pursue. It's, it keeps us under His rule and reign, His good rule and reign. It's actually willful obedience, eventually. Just in case you're wondering, I want to obey. I just struggle to obey because I'm battling my flesh and the way the world shapes my perspective. So, but, remember this. As Romans 9.16 says, It does not, therefore, depend upon human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Even our strongest efforts will never achieve in what God can do in us. God can grow us when we humbly see ourselves for what we really are and ask Him for help. Next is faith allows us to stay in the fight. And this is important. This is the daily living I'm talking about from every day you were born on. Allows us to stay in the fight. This world, living in this world, can get really discouraging at times. There's war. Wars just seem to get more and more complex and frustrating. There's increased disease. There's this, it seems like there's this decline in morality. Sometimes I wonder if that's just nowism. Like back in my day, we were moral. You know? But I think there's a decline of morality, you know? Um, you know, you start looking around and you see all the like corruption, at least at least it appears this way. I have no clue what's real sometimes. But you see all this corruption at high levels of like business and government. And you're like, man, what happened? I remember as a kid, I'm 43. So maybe you're not 43. Maybe you're older and you even have better memory of this. But I remember being really proud of us as America. And now it just seems like... Like, we can, but it's just like, what happened to America? What happened to all those founding fathers stuff? We were going to be this great nation that did all this great stuff. And I mean, maybe we're just in a rough patch. Maybe that's still happening. I don't know. I get discouraged at times. And you probably do too. We look at the, you know, what's going around in other countries and we just see like, just corruption and pain and slavery and killing and just, it's just rough. And we get to start, we could start to think God, are you even there? Do you even have a plan? Or what about your own personal life? You know, you're really trying to work on your marriage and you're motivated and you're desired and you're like, I'm going to be a better spouse. And then you go to try and you just fail. And you're like, why do I always get in this circle of craziness with my spouse? Or you see what's possible with kids and you really want to raise your kids well and you know there's wisdom out there to help raise kids and you just struggle to apply it. You struggle to grow. The growth, the the requirements of today in your life, your maturity seems to be a decade away for the requirements of today. You just seem like you're never caught up with what you need to do today. Financially, same thing. You're trying to get caught up and you just struggle to get caught up. But here's the hope we have. By faith, we can trust, as Philippians 1.6 says, being confident in this, guys, and this is really important. He who began a good work in us, in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. That's His return. God has a plan and it will be accomplished regardless of us. We can trust Him and continue to walk in His rule. And it reminds me of this, and I'll wrap up with this. as my daughter when she was younger, even up till last year. I'm always trying to get my kids to do stunts with me, you know? Whether it's little kids jumping in the pool or off the couch, or they're older, skiing down a hill, or climbing, or doing this or that. And This is what my daughter always says, Are you sure, Daddy? When she was little. She didn't say that when she was 18. Are you sure? She had this little accent, you know. I'd be like, yes, I'm sure you're fine. Are you sure? And she wanted to jump and and participate in the fun, but what she was really asking is, is, will you catch me and make sure that I'm going to be alright? And I knew my daughter would be alright. I wouldn't put her in a position where she wouldn't be. And God knows we will be okay as we continue to let Him rule in our lives by faith. As the worship team comes back on stage, I really want to point out a few next steps that you may want to take in response to this. And here's what they are. This first one's really important. Explore joining God's kingdom by faith in Jesus. And what I mean is explore becoming a Christian. If you haven't done that yet and you just want some more information about that, you can mark on your connection card like I'm interested in receiving more information about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. You can come talk to me or one of our staff at the guest information table after service or simply just talk to one of your friends. You probably know somebody here. Ask them. Maybe you guys can explore that together. And then next is, ask God for help as you continue to grow in obedience to Him. Ask God for help as you continue to grow in walking in obedience. And then third is, you can memorize Romans 9.16, which is it, it does, go back down a little bit, therefore. It does not, therefore, depend upon human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. So let me pray and then we'll wrap up. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for being so good and merciful, Lord. And thank you, God, that we can actually, as we sang earlier, Lord, we can walk out onto the waters where our trust has no borders, Lord. We can go deeper and deeper in our walk with you, Lord, because you are trustworthy. And we can go beyond our sight and beyond our ability to understand in faith. And faith the size of a mustard seed, Lord, as we trust you and take our next step With you, God, whatever that may be, God, we can start slow and you can grow us to something we never thought imaginable. In
0: Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.